This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm Bob Asman, and I'm glad to have you back for what is our 100th podcast. And I couldn't be happier to have the guest I have today on our podcast to help me celebrate this 100th podcast because she is a pillar in the customer experience profession. She has been a mentor to me, especially as I led the CXPA, which she helped find uh, for CX professionals. And uh, I just couldn't be happier to have Jean Bliss with us uh, as our guest. Jean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. So good to be with you. Uh, it's great to have you too, Gene. So, Gene, I, I, I always ask my guests the same question be, uh, to, to start the podcast because listeners like to know, um, how did you get to be doing what you're doing over the past number of years? What was your career path? How, how did it all come to be? Because typically there are some great nuggets in that path. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my podcast, I call it the breadcrumbs because there's this kind of path we beat to this door. And we have, I found, as I've been talking to a lot of people, really similar yearnings on how we want to contribute. And our our brains and our kind of aptitudes are assembled in a different, in a, in a kind of a weird way um, to help us be able to connect across a lot of organizations to be that glue that we talk about a lot. And I I, I didn't know how to apply that initially because back when I was um, coming out of school, I, I, you, you interviewed for one kind of path, right? I remember interviewing for a role at The Gap and I scored just as well in sales as I did in marketing, Bob. They didn't know what to do with me. They're like, well, this is, this is, what is this? Square peg and two holes, blah, blah, blah. So my degrees were in apparel design and retail, again, right brain, left brain, re- retail and business. And when I got out of college, I thought I really wanted to do the retail path. Hart Chapner and Marks was hiring nine seniors from around the world. And I became one of those, um, thought I was going to go to New York and went to Evansville, Indiana. It's uh, Wow. What a, what a great location. Oh my God. I had a, I, I, and I had a bicycle and no car. So here I am in Evansville, Indiana. I did a great job. I, I, I kicked up a lot of dust, though. I was a pain in the neck even back then because I was asking why. Why are we doing it this way? This is crazy. I remember um, just a lot of people looking at me like, who is this person? And why does she think Why does she think she can do this stuff? So I got my way back to Chicago, my homeland, and um, ran one of the stores there and then read an ad. This is where my, 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 my whole career in this started, really. Um, read an ad in the Chicago Tribune about a little company in Dodgeville, Wisconsin called Land's End, and they needed somebody to train the phone operators on all of the product and services. And so I um, 
gotten my little Mazda GLC, drove to Wisconsin and interviewed with them. Land's End was um, pretty big back then. It's gotten, got a lot bigger during the period of time I was with them. But um, my first job was training the phone operators. I would go through every item in the Land's End catalog in two hours, Bob. Like I jump up and down in parkas and pull everything out. And then I packed it in my car and went to all the retail stores and trained all the people in the retail stores and sat on those phones and listened to the people and listened to the customers. And so I started being who I am again and started peppering Gary Comer, the founder of Land's End, with things like, we need to do this. Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? And um, he had finally had enough after my doing that for about eight months. He said, fine, you have a new job. You report to the executive committee. Okay, I'm 24 and a half. You report to wow. the executive committee. You're the conscience of the company. We're growing 80% a year. Um, we're bringing a lot of people in who are very good at their specific, specific lanes like telemark telecommunications or running a warehouse or whatever but there's a certain way we do things around here um and we were we were very contrary to traditional business practices there was no talk time um we nurtured the 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 farm people who got up at four o'clock in the morning and um, plucked eggs from the underbellies of warm hens before logging into land's end um, we took care of employees and it was just fundamentally humanity driven and so I spent eight years um, reporting to that executive committee and we built lands up end up to um, build a lot of the things that became known in the catalog industry. We created the first guarantee. We created the first guarantee for Christmas. Um, we created the first gift boxing program. Um, a, a lot of these things that are now foundational to catalog marketing or retailing or you know, you can call it catalog marketing internet um, we built during that period of time while retaining about 95% retention rate. And um, we grew from about $100 million in sales to a billion. Um, when, the, when the financial analysts came in and we were going public, I, I was the one who presented the life cycle of the Land's End customer. And um, I did it on, I, it was probably a 40-foot Velcro board, Bob. And I had all the stages of the customer experience on there and I'd rip one off and say, if this happens, this happens and this happens and people are like, what is this? Who oh is my this? gosh. Italian whirling dervish. Um, but it was, it was the joy of my life that gave me my career. Um, you know, when you're, when you're in, a, I call it kind of like catching lightning in a bottle and we were kind of the Amazon of our time or the Zappos of our time. And um mm -hmm. It was just wonderful. So it gave me a kit bag and enough mm. confidence to think I could start moving from industry to industry. And that became my path and my deliberate path. So um, after Land's End, I went to uh, Mazda Motor of America. They had recruited three people from around the world who were really good in their industries. And um, we worked on building that. I built the first lifetime value model for um, car buying and ownership pulling all that data, the, the, all the triggers. We, we built all the processes for the dealerships and all of those things that didn't exist before. Um, after that, I went to Coldwell Banker. I was the senior vice president of franchise services because I wanted to also own a function and be B2B. Be, be be. So it was supporting the franchisee so they could support the customer 
uh, to improve the customer's life, the, the, the home buyer life. Um, after that, I knew I needed to go a little bigger. Again, I'm a diligent, kind of deliberate kind of person, anal retentive, I guess. And so I went to Allstate. I was the first um, vice president of customer satisfaction and retention there, reported to um, Bob Gary, who was the president of the personal lines company. And then I knew I needed uh, technology because this thing was exploding, right? So I went mm -hmm. to Microsoft and I was the uh, general manager of worldwide customer and partner loyalty at Microsoft. And that was fascinating, Bob, because we had to, you know, it's so big, you know, and rather than eating the elephant or whatever that's called, trying to do too much with too, too little, too fast, that's where I learned the importance of uh, finding those leaders who really get it and engaging um, with them. If that was kind of my last corporate gig. I had done, I did that for almost 25 years. And then in, um, gosh, I think 2000. So then I started speaking, you know, I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an Italian blabbermouth. Let me get out there. And I did a ton, ton, tons and tons of conferences because it was, it, you know, we weren't calling it customer experience. I think I was, but it was customer, still customer service or, you know, whatever those terms were, but I knew I needed to get the word out. I needed to start shaping the 25 years of practical experience I had um, in a way that was operational and relevant and didn't sound like this pie in the sky kind of, we are the world kumbaya thing. And so through those, those years, I built enough of a kit bag that I, um, earned the right, um, that's my, you know, that word, earned the right to write my first book, uh, Chief Customer Officer. And that came out in 2006. Um, and so then I wrote my second book in 2009 called I Love You More Than My Dog, Five Decisions That Drive Extreme Customer Loyalty <laughs> in Good Times and Bad. Um, by, I don't remember what year the CCO 2.0 came out, but I felt like I had learned so much more because then I was coaching uh, C-suite and corporations. And so I took the, C the first CCO book and turned it into a real roadmap for people, real um, methodology. Around that time, uh, too, Bruce Temkin and I founded the uh, co-founded the Customer Experience Professionals Association, which, um, man, he and I almost stopped doing all of our work to do that because we were on such a quest to get that done. You, you were at the first one, weren't you, Bob? In Boston. Uh, part, yeah, yes, uh-huh, yeah. I was. Remember, mm -hmm. remember that thing? It was like we, we put it together with chewing gum and duct tape, I think. It was like, okay. Right. That's and, and there were, I, I can't remember, there weren't very many people there. There was a couple hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, compared to what we got, we started getting year after year, right? Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. But we, yeah. Were happy. Uh -huh. we were happy that we weren't sitting there alone in the in the room, right? And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So, I mean, we knew we had, and, and for me, it was always, my path has always been help the brave crusader who's trying to do this work so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel and recognize there's other people out there and that this is a career and it's not just about doing surveys or these tactical things, but it's about changing the, the way an organization behaves, changing leadership, um, guiding people mm -hmm. toward um, being an admirable kind of organization in the way they behave. So they grow organically in a way no other company can, can grow. And so I think that, that that's been my quest. 
So I, I, I feel really proud about the work we did with the CXPA. I think that we, we've, we've helped a lot of people. And then um, my, my fourth book was something because what I, what I saw happening by the time I wrote the last book was that um, it, it just started to be turned into chunks, into work streams, and we lost the gut and the heart of why we do the work in this first place, which is to improve lives. So I wrote that book called, Would You Do That to Your Mother? And um, <laughs> I, I was just like, come on, people. <laughs> oh, so true. Yeah. So that's that kind of, and, and then along the way, I've been doing speeches and co coaching companies uh, for a long time. So, and that's kind of uh, where I am today. Well, and uh, the reason I think it was so important to kick off our podcast with that background, Gene, is, is that I I talk to a lot of people and they say, you know, I know Gene Bliss. And I'll say, yes, um, but do you really know Gene Bliss and her background, you know? And and most people kind of kind of look at me strangely and I said, but I mean, here's a here's an individual who just has this wealth of experience that you just outlined and and it certainly is um it certainly is impressive, and I and I and I think it's important to highlight that. And so, building on that, Gene, where where because you're so well connected and you have this tremendous background and great perspective, uh, and like you said, both sides of your brain type perspective. What is the state of customer experience now, from your viewpoint? You know, I mean, I I, I was worried when we really started we, when we started labeling it um, that mm. it would inadvertently silotize itself and also become monetized. Um, and I understand why this happens, but what, what the, the point of this work, and I, I almost kind of, Bob, don't want to call it customer experience because we turn it, we, we've almost turned it into a silo. Um, mm. the, the point of this work is to, unite an organization uh, to recognize that a customer's experience isn't one thing or one metric. Um, it's, it's how an organization comes together to improve, to improve the life and that there is a life, employee life, and a customer life behind all we do. And uh, to recognize that if you lose sight of that, you're chasing the numbers, you're chasing the revenue, you're chasing the sales, the metrics are churn, turnover, boost, uh, likes, service scores, and and all, and we lose the human in all of it. And um, there's a, there's a set of skills that are foundational to being able to to do this work. Um, but there's also a, a huge leadership component around how you, what's important to the organization, what you prioritize, um, how you bring the, the different parts of the organization together to make decisions, how you're brave and say no to things, how you walk away from bad practices. And what's happened, Bob, to me is we've gotten really good at the, at the technical skill of it that I mentioned, you know, surveys, metrics, those things. But the leadership part of it hasn't thrived and been developed. And so um, 
we've kind of lost the forest for the trees on it as far as I'm concerned. It's we're getting mm -hmm. good stuff done, but it's it, it it's not the higher purpose. It's it it's not going to get you to become and this is a broad generalization. If you're just focusing on the mechanics and not the meaning of the work, um, it's hard to become a company that is my term beloved because you're going to you're going to be doing mechanics like everybody else is doing mechanics. Does that make any sense? It does. It, it does make a lot of sense, Gene. And if I can just tag on to that, you know, I guess the I guess you could say the pandemic was a good excuse for a lot of companies to say, you know, we can't get help, we can't improve the experience right now. And and I always remember back in the early two thousands in the financial crisis, I was working for Thomson Reuters, who you're very familiar with, and. Yep. And the CEO at that time said, you know what, we're now's the time to invest in our customers, not not turn away from them, because when we come through this crisis, they're going to remember that Thomson Reuters was there hand in hand with them. So we're going to do everything possible to continue our relationships and and solidify those relationships. And he was so right when we came out of that financial crisis, Thomson Reuters came out stronger than we were when we went into it because customers said to us. You stuck with me during this crisis, and and I'm not leaving you. It was like they were going to stay with us forever, and so I'm I'm just amazed at the lack of improvement in customer experience. A lot of words, uh, a lot of professions that you know that we're we're working for improving from organizations that are working to improve customer experience. But I think what you just talked about, maybe that is at the core where. We're just not seeing the improvements we should be, unless I'm wrong. Maybe things are better than I, from your perspective, than what I'm seeing. But it just doesn't seem like we're making enough headway fast enough. Am I right? Wrong? What are your thoughts? I I, I think that to become a company that truly behaves in a different way and earns growth um, because of who they are as people and how they make decisions is about leadership and leaders coming together. And leaders saying, you know, look, we're not gonna we're not gonna charge customers these extra fees um, when when um, when we've got bad, a bad product situation. We're gonna take ownership of it. We're gonna do it differently. Um, when the internet shuts down or or something happens, um, we're gonna get out ahead of it. We're gonna put the system in place. You know, and so much of this is is leaders and leadership. Um, and I, I, there are pockets of organizations that do a great job at this. I think, I don't think it's all bad. And I think that there are some incremental things happening. Um, but I, I just don't see the true leadership bravery, um, in as broad of a spectrum as we were hoping to have happen as a result of this. But, but again, it, it's natural, Bob for people to mm. want to achieve what they can achieve mm. and to kind of turtle back to their silo and do it within their silo. Cause it's harder to do the work with a lot of organizations. And, and that's, you know, from, from the first time I wrote the CCO book, I mean, gosh, it took me two, two and a half or three months just to write the outline for that book to try to get to the core of, you know, why, why this work would fail or, or thrive. And at the, it, foundationally, it's it's around companies and leaders agreeing to work together, and the 
the, the way that we continue to still manage and motivate and reward and pay people is silo by silo versus customer goal by customer goal or customer outcome by customer outcome. And, and those are the things that needed to change or would need to change um, to, to drive. You know, instead we're, we're focusing on survey scores or net promoter or whatever, which as you know, I mean, again, the ideas are really good, but people get really good at figuring out how to get a good score within their part of the business, which isn't great for the customer because they may have a good experience one place or not a great one another place. And we also know that those scores can be kind of magically manipulated <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yes. There's no question about that. So, Gene, is it, I, I, again, uh, really important thoughts you're sharing with our listeners uh, as Gene Bliss joins us on our uh, 100th podcast. Gene, uh, from a leadership standpoint, what is the barrier for leaders being able to overcome what you just outlined? Well, I mean, is it, go ahead. No, you will. Uh, is it multi competing priorities? Is it, you know, lack of attention? Well, what do you think it is? Well, you know, the way we do annual planning is flawed. And the way there's, there's not enough work done up front to say, who are we as an organization? You know, I'm in, on my website, I tell a story about my dad. He was, he sold Buster Brown shoes and um, he was there forever. He was like Geppetto. You know, you, he just took care of people and he shooed people for their whole life and he shooed them and the generations of their children. And um, when he retired, a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. I mean, it was just so overwhelming to see this outpouring of love because he earned a place in their life. And that, I think, this deep thinking, you don't have to call it what's your three blocks long, but the deep thinking that a leader needs to to drive leaders around how do we want to be remembered if we want to be remembered this way then how do we need to act then how does that translate to how we operate then how does that have to translate to who we hire and how does that translate to how we reward people and how does that translate to how we develop or roll out products um and that's a lot of work bob in, in instead you know we have these corporate pillars, which again, are well-meaning. Our five corporate pillars this year are, you know, product evangelism, you know, customer experience, whatever that means, you know, and there's these, these pillars, which are fine, but the heavy duty conversations and deliberateness around making decisions that say, okay, how are we going to earn those pillars? Because at the end of the day, it's got to be around, are we improving lives? And um, what are we going to do and what are we not going to do? So that's, for example, Bob, why I stopped talking about journey mapping and instead really push people to build a customer goal map, which is you, you got to be in business for one reason, and it's to help your customers improve their goals. You really know what their goals are. You have, you talk to them about their goals. You know, I ask people a lot of times, what's your, show me your journey map. Well, it's their sales pipeline. It's all about you, mm -hmm. not about the customer. And so, the, 
this is really hard work, hard, deliberate work. Um, and, and to me, that front end hard work clarity, it doesn't exist a lot of places. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you 100%. I think some of what we do uh, from that tactical standpoint, Gene, that you're talking about is, you know, we do a journey map because it feels good and we can put it up on the wall and say, look at the journey map we did, but then we don't take action. Or, or to your point, we might we might have missed what the goals of the customer are. Those are incorporated into the process. And I'm, it's not just journey mapping, it's across the board, um, uh, certainly. And, you know, Gene, there's one thing I you sorry, said in our pre... Oh, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but... And or marketing has a journey map. Sales oh. <laughs> You know, product development has a journey map. Well, that's that. Hi, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's where it all kind of becomes this very complicated thing, and our brains explode. So yeah, exactly. Let me throw that in there. That's good. I'm glad you did. And the one thing I wanted to come back to that you said in in, uh, in one of the previous answers to my question was, you said uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I hesitate to call it customer experience, and and I didn't mean to. To bypass that, what what are your thoughts around that? Can you expand on that a little bit more? Sure. I, you know, we when you label it, we've inadvertently created a silo of the customer experience department, um, and now the work is around how well you're running the specific mechanics that are really the under that are really the in the background things to help get done, but there's there's not leadership on top of that and leadership behaviors that drive, you know, the mechanics are around to help you know what, what you've done. And we're getting really good at look, peering, peering backwards and looking at what we've done and measuring it to say, what should we do, you know? Um, so CX has become a department versus improving lives being a leadership responsibility. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Again, it does make sense, Gene, completely. Um, when you look at, um, you know, you're, you're doing many speaking engagements and you mentioned your books. Are there, are there, Things that individuals or organizations say to you, like, Gene, could you speak to us about this? Or are there anything that's bubbling to the surface for you that might be the latest topics that people are asking you about? Well, certainly in, in the care and feeding of employees mm -hmm. is super critical right now as we, you know, yearned and worked to get out of the COVID thing. Um, I think that the, the, the recognizing that employees, and I, I almost even hate to call it employee experience because it's not about the HR department or the old organizational development department, um, that the employee is you know, foundational to how we show up as people and they really need to be given the ability uh, to make decisions, to make the call, to have a seat at the table, 
uh, to be honored, to not feel like they've got to ask 20 people when there's a decision to be made. And I, I think that, again, if you don't start with customer goals, you can't backwards engineer your way to then what should employ, what should we enable employees to do? So employee experience has become its own silo um, that's kind of disconnected from customer experience. And so culture is this hover hovercraft kind of that's flying over it, but it's, it's like its own thing. And so we do things like let's have get togethers or parties or census voting and find out how they're all doing without connecting it to the purpose of the business. Not everybody's doing this, um, but I think, I, I think there's a lot, this generation of the younger folks working, they need purpose and they want and desire to have their work be connected to purpose. They don't want to come in and, and do A and B and C because A and B and C is their, their, their work. They want to, they want to be a part of something bigger and greater. And I think that's the real opportunity. And that's, I'm not sure how great, you know, it's again, there's clusters of organizations that do that well, but mm -hmm. that's the leadership piece. That's a hard, the hard work, um, which is, which is why if you don't do the upfront, you don't have to call it customer goals, but if you don't do the upfront work to say, okay, here's how we want to be thought of as people when, when a customer places their first order or reaches out to us for the first time or receives something from us or, you know, whatever, and you don't backwards engineer the operational the policies, the procedures, the human people, who you're going to hire and how you're going to develop to do that, it doesn't hang together. And, and it becomes the well-intended intentions of really good people doing work separately. I think that's that's so true as well, Gene. I I am uh, in the process right now of obtaining um, homeowners insurance quotes, and <laughs> um, I'm going to multiple companies, and I'm just amazed at um, the different uh, treatment. Is probably is not meant to be negative. It's just the yeah. initial call. You know, I'm calling. I'm, these are not. I'm not their client. You know, I'm I'm brand new, and I'm calling four or five to get quotes. And, and some start out with, well, okay, I need to know the value of the house. I need to know the address. And, and others are like, well, you know, tell us why you called us today and what are you looking for? And uh, tell me a little about your background. And so getting to build the relationship right out of the gate, right. as opposed to give me your address, you know, your name, rank and serial number. So I can policy get this done. Cops. You got policy cops versus people who have been, <laughs> you know, really, Give, there's been enough time taken to say, here's who we are. And here, when somebody reaches us, here's what they're feeling. And this is your, your job is to be a memory maker in this moment and give them all the tools. It's two, two totally different experiences for both the Indeed. customer and the employee. Right, exactly. The employees, you can just hear it in their voice, how much they enjoy talking to customers and, and getting to know them and, um, uh, it, it's just it's just such a different experience, and you and we've always said this over the years, right? You know, good experience when you get it, right? You 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 have this innate ability to say, "Oh, that felt really good." When I hang up the phone or I or I interact with somebody uh, directly, you you feel good. It, you know it when you get it, and you know you when you don't get it. Right. Well, it's funny because when when we were 
two examples. When we were at Land's End, when I was at Land's End, we, I said, don't ask them for their order number first. Talk to them as a human. But what was fascinating about Land's End was um, Gary Comer actually moved the huge call center from Chicago. Not that there was anything wrong with Chicago people, but he moved it to the heart of the middle of Wisconsin because he knew the people were so warm and who they, you know, caring nature of who they were. And, um, uh, you know, hiring has to be the most important decision. And, we, you know, mm -hmm. so he, that was the foundationally such a great decision because we could train the skills, but we got these wonderful farm men and women who were, you know, the heart of America. Um, and, but we, we were able to say, look, when they, when the customer calls, talk with them first, don't ask about, don't say, well, what's your order number? Same thing when we were at Allstate, when somebody calls in for a claim, you know, you got to connect humanly first. Don't say, well, policy number, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and even when you, you call for healthcare stuff, it's, there are people are like, well, what's, you know, I know they need to know your name and your birthday, you know, to figure out who you are. But there's, there's then got to be a, there should be some conversation about, well, how, how, you know, how are you or something? It's just, it's the -dum 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 mechanics of it that, that it, you know, we're like, what, really? <laughs> Crazy. <Right. laughs> well, and I, and I, I love a couple of the terms you've used, beloved being one of them and memory maker being another one. And, and it, that, that's fantastic. And um, Gene, we could go on for hours. This has been just such a joy to talk to you and reconnect with you and your thoughts. And before I before I wrap up today's podcast, I always ask my guests, uh, and I'll ask you this question as well, is um, what are some final words of wisdom you have for our listeners as they continue to, to look towards better experiences for their organizations and the organization's customers? You know, for me, it's be the glue, dare to be the glue. Don't, you know, push, push for other parts of the organization to be part of the journey. Don't think it's about ownership. Um, force your leaders into an uncomfortable situation to make the call about when there's this fork in the road and we, we've got, you know, identify that, you know, the top 10 areas where customers have pain and get them to make decisions because People need beacons of hope that they can emulate and be the people who get leaders in to give real examples of behavior that people can emulate. And, you know, again, be that glue. It's hard to be the glue. Nobody wants, nobody wants the glue. <laughs> be the glue. Be the glue. <laughs> I love it. Those are, those are great words of wisdom. Gene Bliss, thanks for, um, joining us on today's podcast and listeners Jean's books that she mentioned are timeless so if you haven't read them get them and read them they're excellent uh, action-oriented books um, and plus Jean's uh, content is uh, frequent and very impactful so uh, connect with Jean um, there as well to, to access your content. So Jean, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for helping celebrate our hundredth podcast. We really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Bob. And uh, good to be here with you and congratulations to you. Thank you very much. And listeners, this has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. Please, as always, share it with your networks and stay tuned for other 
podcasts coming up as we begin a new season of our podcast seasons uh, series. And then also remember that we are a part of the CXFM radio network and our fellow podcasters also are providing lots of great content. Until the next time, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit CXofM.org for more resources.